grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? I hope you said great because I'm doing great. Again, I'm loving the weather. Nice and cool now. Nice and cool. I like it. Hopefully it stays this way. I think we're going to hit one day of 90 next week, and that's it. I did. I think yeah, I think Sacramento was on the lowdown. My name is Charlotte. And I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts. Right, the right position here. California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means we can help you. We can get to you from anywhere in the state. Isn't that cool? And we also can get to you if you live in Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and even Hawaii. Parts of Hawaii, not all of Hawaii. I wish it was all of Hawaii. But anyway, we got a great show for you tonight. This uh, woman, uh, my, my, our good friend, Catherine Ramson, was, was on last week, and we had technical difficulties, and I'm hoping this week's a little different. And I'm just giving you guys a heads up that if we do start to have difficulties, what I'm going to do is we're just going to switch it off the phone, so we're going to have to do a, do a dial-up, you know, um, if something goes wrong. So I just want to give you guys an FYI on that. But I'm all prepared for that. Uh, and hopefully this week's goes different because there was a lot going on last week and people were online, you know. So sometimes, you know, I have Comcast and uh, well, Xfinity and my whole neighborhood seems to have Xfinity. So when, when, when big events happen, there's a big drain on, on the Internet here. So uh, these things happen frequently, <laughs> more frequently than I like. My guest tonight, Catherine Ramsland, or is not, is is an excellent writer. I'm a big Anne Rule fan, and Catherine writes books in that vein, and I love her books. I love everything she writes, and uh, I've read almost everything she's written. I'm really excited, really excited to bring this this book. That I'm, this, this, this book she wrote quite a while ago about cemeteries and stuff, and I'm real excited about it, and uh, I even have notes. See? I took notes of my book. So uh, we'll be talking to her about that. In the meantime, if you're watching from Facebook, and you like what you hear, please hit that follow button. If you're watching from, where else? Oh, YouTube. <laughs> There's a little guy down in the bottom right-hand corner here. See, oh, there we go. There's a button. Okay. Right there. I hope I'm putting, pointing in the right place because everything's like opposite, backwards. Like I get used, like, give you an idea. This is the right side of my face, and I see it as left side of my face. So that tells you how I'm trying to figure it out. So maybe it's over here, right? Oh, anyway, you'll find it. You can see him. It's a little ghost with a magnifying glass on and a Sherlock Holmes hat. That's our mascot. That's how you subscribe to our YouTube page. We've got almost 400 videos over there, and I think you'll find something that you like because we cover different topics. We just don't cover ghostly things. We cover all kinds of stuff, so I, I think you'll find something that you like. I'm going to boost my mat again here a little bit. All right, that's better. Anyway, so without further ado, let's get our guest in, and then, like I said, we may have to switch to doing it by phone. I'm hoping we don't. I'm hoping everything goes smoothly this week. And uh, let's do this. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me all right? Hi. Can you hear me all right? Can you hear me all right? No, it's garbled. I'm, I'm going I'm to go ahead and call you. Okay. Okay. All right. So okay. here we go. Here we go. Oh. 
Yeah, I'm going to take you off camera. I'm going to call you. It's not a problem. Okay. Yeah, she's got problems with her audio, so we're just going to do it this way. I'm going to boot her out of here. So here we go. Let's boot her out. Give me a second, guys. I can do this. Okay. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and I'm going to give her a call. I think it's from her end, to be perfectly honest. So I'm just going to call her. So here we go. Yeah. Get everything set on my phone. So that wasn't cool. I don't know what's going on with her end. But we don't care because we're going to call her. Okay, here we go. Let me call her. Oh, you dirty, dirty, you dirty, you dirty Diana, you. Okay. There we go. Now we can do this. Let me boost the mic. Be easier this way. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Okay. Yeah, I don't know what that is. It was worth a try. You hear me all right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Let me get you hooked up here. All right. You've been on the show before, and uh, people loved listening to what you had, you know, the stories you had about the BTK killer, you know, mm -hmm. when you were on. So tell me about you for the people that haven't um, heard about you before. All right. I'm a professor of forensic psychology and a writer. I just published my 69th book, which is a novel about a, a forensic psychologist who runs a PI investigation agency taking on paranormal cases for some time. And I've written a lot of books about forensics, extreme offenders. Uh, I wrote Anne Rice's biography, Dean Kuntz's biography. Um, so I've written about vampires, ghosts, cemeteries, you know, all kinds of things like that. That's who I am. Fantastic. Now, let me ask you this. Is it hard to do research on these um, on these killers, like the, like the BTK killer? Or is it easier because, I mean, like I'm talking about like copyrights and stuff like that because they're in jail. Um, I don't, well, they're in jail, but I mean, there's a lot of information you can find just doing research in their hometown, talking to people who knew them, talking to them, but there's no, there's no copyright on it. If okay. they want to talk to you and they agree to, they sign over their okay. rights to do, for you to use their material, there's no problem with that. Uh, but, you know, so the hard part is sometimes they want a cut, of, mm -hmm. you know, if you make money, they want something. But with, with Raider, his stuff actually had been signed over to the victim's families. Okay. So whatever the book made, um, that, that was not, it did not go to him in any way, shape, or form. It went to the victim's families. Okay. Yeah, I've always wondered how that worked because, you know, I always had a couple that I always wanted to write on, but you never know. I, I may get to it someday. So how are yeah, you? Well, it, it, it's, it's different for each one, and it's uh -huh. different. Different prisons have different rules and regulations, mm -hmm. so you just have to figure out, you know, where are they, what what kinds of things would the prison require, uh, what kinds of things are already out there to know, and then what do you want to know, and is this person willing to talk to you? Okay, okay. Do you ever get spooked out though when you're writing this stuff? I mean, you you when you start doing research into like the police files and all that on these guys. Is there ever a time when you're sitting there at night and you're starting to look over your shoulder because because you see the stuff that they did? Well, I'm cautious. I mean, I I'm, I don't take unnecessary risks, but I'm I it doesn't really get to me at all. I sleep well. I don't <laughs> I don't feel like somebody's stalking me or anything like that. So no, not really. 
okay. I just find that I just find it interesting because I know when I used to cover some of these cases, I was kind of like that too. But it, it made me more leery when I was out on my own. You know, when, when you're out running around alone, because it kind of opens your eyes to stuff that 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 people don't realize how you know happens to you know what I mean happens to other people and things like that. Yeah, I know, but I think if you're if you're if, I mean, it's, if you're going to undertake this kind of work, you have to already be a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you're not fear, naturally fearful. You you tend to be uh, bold and mm-hmm. confident, and so it, it probably wouldn't bother you as much. Right, right. But yeah, so it it doesn't, and it's clinical for me. It's really my work, and I've been doing it for about 25 years. Right. So it doesn't really get to me. Right. Understood. Now, you wrote a book on cemeteries, and it was a very fascinating book. And you not only wrote about cemeteries, and, and part of that book, you, 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 um, there was something in there about like the cemeteries in Paris. And I remember landing when, when we came in on the airplane. And that's the first thing you see as you, as you right. land in the airport are, are the cemeteries. There's just so many cemeteries in Paris. Yes, yeah, since I wrote the book Cemetery Stories, I actually went to Paris mm-hmm. for about maybe 10 days uh, and really was mostly to go from one cemetery to another. These are such amazing cemeteries. There, there's so much artwork in these cemeteries and each one is, is, is distinct, like Montmartre, very crowded, mm-hmm. um, but they have amazing sculptures. Uh, Père Lachaise, again, really unique um same thing with rome they have some very unique cemeteries as well so since i wrote that book i've actually gone around to even more cemeteries picking up stories and getting a sense of them and then even the novel i just published a couple Mm -hmm. days ago has cemetery scenes nice so i I guess i can't stop doing cemeteries (laughs) well i was kind of like that when i was first taking photography and and everything we were shooting was supposed to be in black and white and i started because being you know ghost hunting and everything i I was i was hanging out in victorian cemetery because we have a victorian cemetery here in town and i started to notice the tombstones and I, i never realized that that they would make custom tombstones according to what the person did for a living or whatever whatever their hobby was well, and I just saw that in Scotland. I was in Edinburgh for uh, about five days, and all the cemeteries, everybody on their tombstones had their whatever they had done for a living, like a letter carrier or <laughs> grocer or something. That's very interesting because you don't normally see that, but it was every single person had something etched on their stone about their occupation. I'll have to get the stuff and the look because what I did, you know, I was finding stuff here. <clears throat> like if the if the guy was a, a lumberjack, right? Mm-hmm. They would have like a like a wood made out of you know cement with a saw in it. Huh. It was really cool. So I did yeah. a whole expose on this for my class because because at the end of the class you're supposed to do like a like a um, you know like like, like those oh, here I am a newspaper person I can't remember. <laughs> Like those newspaper pages where you you have like all these different photos like from the fair you know sights and sounds of the fair and so that's what we were supposed to do so i decided to do it on the cemetery yard and so i I drove to all these cemeteries locally and then out of town and i was finding stuff like that and i was finding things like a guy was was like on the railroad so they had a train on top of his uh, on top of his tombstone you know that that was in cement it was really cool that is cool you know 
And I would love to do what you did and go and like look, go to New Orleans and, and, look, and look at these things, like, like you say, in Scotland and France, just to see what these cemetery, you know, what's on these tombstones. Yeah, I've, I've basically done a uh, hundred cemeteries to see before you die, kind of kind of idea. Because I I have traveled a lot of places where I've heard about unique, either a unique cemetery or a unique monument or tomb or something, and I've gone just to see it, just to to experience you know different cultures mm-hmm. and, and like in the Caribbean, for example, there were some real differences there from one island to another. Uh, in terms of the culture and and the kinds of things they wanted to do. Mexico was really unusual for the Day of the Dead ceremonies. Mm -hmm. Wonderful parties all night long in the cemeteries. When you talk about the, let's let's look at the Caribbean, when you talk about the different cultures, what what, what are you talking about as far as the cemeteries? Well, I mean, Caribbean, like one island was half Dutch and half something else. I can't remember what the other what the other country was that owned it, but so each side of that island had its own practices, its own way of doing of, hmm. of burials and the kinds of tombstones they they might have, and and maybe embalming and on one side and no embalming on the other. So it was just interesting that an island had two different ways of doing their death rituals. Interesting. That's really interesting. I know that one cemetery we have over here, there's a section for the, um, I believe it's Ukrainians. And so the, hmm. there is a difference where the, the the Catholic cemetery, you know, all the tombstones are flat. You know, there, there's no, right, right. there's none of that. And then when you look at the other cemetery, the, the, all, the, all the tombstones are upright. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. But we have, we have one here. It's called God's Acre. And it's, it's a Moravian cemetery. And that's, it's a religion that's kind of like Lutheran. They settled the Bethlehem area. And this, it, so for this one area, it's it's all flat mm-hmm. because their idea was that everybody should be equal. And so nobody was going to get anything special in death. And so each everybody got, got the same kind of stone except for one person. And it was a woman. And she had done something special, so she got a, a, a more special stone. But they had Native American burials in the cemetery. They had, you know, male and female. They had different uh, ethnicities, but everybody got exactly the same type of stone because the idea was that they they were not going to be elevated in any way in death. Interesting. See, I find this, like I said, I'm personal. I'm kind of like you. I would like to tour... If I could tour like a bunch of cemeteries, I'd be really happy doing it. Yeah. I like to see the different Well, I think whenever you do travel, just find the cemetery that's around. I always do that. Sometimes it's, you know, it's nothing special, but quite often I'll find something really interesting or unusual. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I had the opportunity as a reporter to hang out for a day with um, a mortuary. Mm-hmm. And I got to see how they operated. In fact, not only did I hang out, I actually got to see a body cre- uh, cremated. Right. Um, yeah, that's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's an experience, the, the way they do that. It's not how people expect it to be. Right. Or what comes out is not what people expect it mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. I actually had a, a friend who had, when he wanted to be, he knew he was dying, so he had this will where he 
wanted to be cremated, but then he wanted his cremains put into a box and and taken to his favorite restaurant and and be the centerpiece of our dinner. And so the steak dinners were on him all around. But mm-hmm. the the requirement was that he that his cremains would be put right in the middle of the table. Oh wow! <laughs> that way he could take part too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's so we and we did it. I it's, mean, a, it's not funny, but it is in a way, you know, the last yeah. laugh. Just like yeah, these people. That, I, that was the first time I think I'd seen cremains and realized that they weren't the way, you know, they're they're kind of presented on TV. Right, right, right. Just like these people nowadays that want to be buried with cell phones and stuff, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it's just and it's just weird because people will be standing over the graves and then the cell phone starts to ring. Creepy. Right. Or, right. or the well, or, or, or a voice if comes you, out. If you're scared you're gonna be buried alive, it's a good idea to have a cell phone. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, in your travels with, with these, you know, in these different cemeteries, um, you know, talking with, with, with uh you know, mortuaries and stuff. Did anybody have any stories about like like the real real old stuff as far as like you know bells in, in, inside the graves themselves to alert them? Oh yeah, uh, in fact, we just I was in Savannah. Um, we went to Bonaventure Cemetery, and there were some stories there about about people who had made special provisions just in case they were buried alive. Mm-hmm. So that that's actually from the 19th century, like mm-hmm. like Poe his sort of era he wrote some stories about about that practice and and there were people who were buried alive so that's that's how that got started there there were people who'd wake up inside a mausoleum or something um if they were buried alive in the ground then they probably didn't get out but the practice of selling these things to them these uh air tubes or uh, mechanisms where if they were if they found themselves waking up in their in their coffin they could ring a bell somebody up and presumably somebody walking by would hear it right and dig them up but i don't know if i could handle waiting around for someone to dig me up i think i, I have claustrophobia i think i think <laughs> that would drive me crazy it would drive me crazy too and then the other types of graves too that people see all the time see in the old old cemeteries where they've got the the steel bars across the top and stuff mm-hmm Oh yeah, that's for the body snatchers. Yep. And in fact, when I was in Scotland, I was I had my hotel was right across from where Burke and Hare, the famous body snatchers, had picked up their victims, and the they actually inspired some of these these frames that go over the coffins to keep people from digging up their loved ones because people would dig up. The, the freshly dead to sell mm-hmm. to the medical schools because they could pick up a lot of money doing that. And the only thing that was against the law was taking their items. So they would dig dig the bodies, strip them, strip off the clothing, dump the clothing back in the grave and, and take off of the bodies. And so have, having these coffin safes, mm-hmm. mort safes they were called, um, made it more difficult to dig up um, because people didn't, want to camp sometimes they would hire someone to camp out over the over the graves for three or four days until the decomposition made the body Mm -hmm. you know not not very workable but then those people could be bribed so the mort safes were were an extra layer of protection i thought see that's what i mean people don't realize the history on graves and stuff you know i mean all they see is 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 probably their loved one being buried you know the tombstone goes in they don't realize that there's like this real 
um, culture and history that that's connected to them. Just like with with you know trying to prevent vampires, right? And some of those. Well, places. they realize that if they're in that culture because they're afraid for their loved ones, and they and they go to you know some strenuous effort making sure they're protected if they can, and they of course don't want to you know end up waking up as a vampire either. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Now, wasn't there a practice for a while there, you know, about being buried face down, that some people were, bur were buried face down? Well, um, we know that Jesse James was buried face down um, because when I was on an exhumation team and the the person who ran the team, Jim Stars, wanted to find out if Jesse James was in his grave because there were all these stories from, from people who claimed that he had escaped, he had mm -hmm. faked his death. He had gone on to father, you know, have children and grandchildren. And many, many people claim to have been the descendants of Jesse James who got away. And so we were going to exhume the body, which had been exhumed before to move to move it to the um, James farm. And when they dug it up, they realized when, that the, the way the bones were laid out, he had been buried face down facing hell basically okay because i was wondering about that you know, why would you bury somebody face down well there was another story that uh, a funeral director told me about how this woman um, after they had the funeral um she paid him to turn her husband's body over and to, and to have it face down because the um i guess the suit that they had put on him ha it was open in the back and she wanted his his butt exposed <laughs> because she was angry at him over something. So that, that was a reason to bury him face down for humiliation. But is, but is the idea that you are, when you're facing into the earth, you're facing hell. Okay. That's where you, that's where you're going to go. You're not going up to heaven. That's different. You know, I didn't, I didn't realize that, you know, that that's, yeah. really, that's, that's really cool. I mean, that's what I'm saying. People don't realize that there's this subculture that goes on with this stuff. You know, the oh yeah, and that that was what the fun was is uh, meeting all these funeral directors. When I went to the the um, it was a, a, this thing in Baltimore where all the funeral directors were converging for a conference, you know, and they were displaying all the the different types of caskets and and the cremains, uh, the, the things you can do with cremains, and so there there are all kinds of exhibits, and then they would hang out at the bar and, and tell stories so it was really an amazing thing for me to be able to have been invited to something like that mm -hmm. to to be able to overhear the stories and and there were characters i met one freelance embalmer um who just lo loved going from place to place embalming people you know for a fee he wasn't a funeral director wasn't attached to any particular funeral home he just enjoyed making putting makeup on the dead Mm -hmm. And he had, and he was quite good at it, so people wanted him, and he made quite a good living just going from one place to another. Now, when we talk about creative things to do with cremains, I know there's because I follow TikTok a lot, and I know that that they can actually make diamonds out of somebody's cremains. Oh yeah, that's one of the things. One one person who had been a musician, they took parts of his cremains and and made it into like they had a picture of a treble like the i don't know what music all the stuff music is called but the when you see pictures of music mm -hmm. with the notes and stuff and so the cremains made the little fat part of the notes <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like a musical 
um, melody kind of thing that they use as cremains to decorate it. Oh, Some cool. people are crushed into diamonds. That's a pretty expensive process. Um, there are several others. One guy, I remember, um, this is at this, this funeral director's convention. Um, they, they were trying to talk people into um, buying the idea that, that they make a picture and the cremains would be put into the paint and painted into this picture. And this guy says, there's no way, because I'll end up on a garage sale somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, they can be very creative these days with, with uh, what they do. And also, a lot of people are not opting for traditional ceremonies. They mm -hmm. want really um, elaborate coffins uh, with, with all kinds of paintings and pictures on it, mm -hmm. or one guy wanted his cremains to be shot into the into space. Um, they might take him fishing, uh, you know, depending on what they loved in life, mm -hmm. they're asking funeral directors to accommodate, you know, whatever it is that they cared about, rather than just this solemn traditional ceremony, more people are opting for something really creative that is expressive of who they were. That was the other thing I was going to talk to you about. You know, there's, there's, um, I don't know if they do it here, but there, I know there's mortuaries over in Puerto Rico and places like that <clears throat> where they actually display the bodies in whatever they enjoyed doing. Yeah, and Puerto Rico has amazing cemeteries, unbelievable ones. They were, they were really quite beautiful, very mm -hmm. elaborate. Mm -hmm. Because I've, you know, I've seen these things where these guys are even uh, the, like there's a guy on a motorcycle. Yeah, there's. Yeah, I think I saw that. Uh, there was another guy who was buried in his BMW or you know, some yeah. car or something like that. <laughs> when that, I mean, can you imagine going into a way, you know, going to going over the mortuary, <clears throat> and then you see your loved one in front of the TV with the remote control. Yeah, and he's just sitting there watching TV. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of well, stuff. To do people, people do all kinds of things. One one person had his uh, spouse embalmed and put into a glass table, so. You look at her. <laughs> there are all kinds of weird things that, that surround death rituals and and people's inability to let go. Now, when you went to this convention, I'm sure you saw some of the equipment that they use yes. or some of the stuff. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I know there, you know, there's stuff. Like I said, there's stuff people don't realize even goes on because, like I said, I spent time like like the eye caps. Yes, the eye caps for yeah for the. For the eyes to so they don't just sink in right yeah so that's that's for having uh the wake so when people come and look at the the body mm -hmm. they put the eye caps under or and then glue the eye eyes shut over the eye caps so that they look like they look natural same thing there's also something they put in the mouth there's kind of a mouth guard as well because they have to sew the mouth shut otherwise it would gape open mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah they, these these people who do the makeup on the dead have to be very creative because some people have been shot in the face, for example, or in, a, in some kind of car accident, and they're all misshapen. So, so the makeup artists for the dead are, are really quite talented, and they, and they come up with some interesting things. Also, I think cotton, they put cotton in the mouth to, to fill out the cheeks was another one that I saw. Um, there's all kinds of things they told me. It was really, really fun talking to the makeup artists. It is fun talking. And they have a weird sense of humor, don't they? Yes, they do. They have to. 
to look at that every day. I mean, you know, I mean, it's a great career if, if you're into that sort of thing. Well, but you know, they're, they're also trying to make it as positive of an experience as possible for the people who are coming mm -hmm. in and they're grieving. So in a way, they're trying to be almost like therapists. They're trying to restore the person as much as they possibly can so that the grieving process has some kind of completion or closure. Um, and so, you know, they have a lot of compassion, typically. Mm -hmm. They might have a sense of humor, but, but they also have a lot of compassion because they're, they're trying to uh, really give the people the best experience possible under the circumstances. Absolutely. Now, you also checked out Jim Morrison's grave, right? Well, what a disappointing place that was. <laughs> yes. Yes, I went to Palaces, and even now it's very hard to get close to the grave because they put a fence up around it. Because so many people were coming in and defacing it and leaving all kinds of trash and litter there. Um, but yeah, they, so the whole Jim Morrison story is very interesting because there are people who think that he faked his death and that he's still around. Mm -hmm. um, and at the and usually in Palaces, you can buy a 30-year lease. So at the 30-year mark, there were people waiting for that grave to be opened and those remains to be removed. But it turned out his um, girlfriend or wife, whoever it was, had purchased long-term. So the 30-year lease didn't, didn't yield any surprises. But... His grave is it's in Père Lachaise, which is this incredible, um, just visually beautiful cemetery with monuments everywhere that you know they're just spectacular. And his is just this flat, boring little grave that with a little stone that you know just <laughs> so disappointing, in my opinion, to go there. Um, and lots of people leaving just crap on it, you know, mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. it's yeah. You know, I've toured Hollywood forever, down mm -hmm. you know down south. It's been it's it's interesting. You know, when you hit when you go to those places, it finally hits you. You know, if you're one of these people that's like woo woo woo, I love life. You know, you finally get to this place and you realize that even these movie stars couldn't avoid it. Yeah, and it kind it kind of makes you, kind of gives you a weird feeling because you realize that not that 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 not everybody's going to live forever. Right, and, and that yeah. No matter how much money, money yeah. or fame or right. beauty or anything they have, it's all—it's like the Moravian Cemetery. You're all the same in depth. Yeah, we're all going to end up the same, you know. And right. like you say, um, Jim Jim Morrison's thing was was disappointing because, like, if you go to some place like Hollywood Forever, they're all custom done, and but there are areas mm -hmm. even in Hollywood Forever where they're just just flat tombstone, you know, flat right. stones in the ground too, you know, because that's what they wanted. You know, it just depends. Well, the weird thing about Morrison, though, is, you know, that he overdosed um, there in Paris. And, you know, but there was a, was a story that he had read, uh, I think it was the week before, that somebody had faked his death and, and filled his coffin with with stuff to make it feel as if someone was in there. And when, when his bandmates actually got there, they had already sealed the coffin. And so these guys didn't see Jim Morrison's body. Mm -hmm. And then when they were asking, you know, who's the guy who signed the death certificate, uh, she couldn't remember and she couldn't find the guy. Mm -hmm. So it really did become suspicious that maybe he hadn't died and he, and he had done what he had just read about in the newspaper. He had done, he had faked it too. 
huh. um, because nobody saw the body. Wow. So maybe he is around. Yeah, maybe he is, huh? Just like Elvis is around you, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, he, he really <laughs> got tired of celebrity and um, wanted to come back as someone else and, and just so it's possible. Yeah. He did talk about it after he saw that article in the Paris newspaper and then and there it was. He he died very quickly thereafter. So, well, you so never know. These guys had enough money to do that stuff, you know. So mm -hmm. there's, yeah. anything is possible. Um, and then I think she she died too pretty quickly. I think she when she went back to California, she got she died in an accident of some kind as well. So the secrets went with her if there were any to be had. Right, right, right. So tell me about haunted cemeteries. You did that too, didn't you? Well, I, there are a lot of uh, cemeteries have have strange stories. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're haunted, maybe they're not. But there were there were a few that were very interesting. Um, I explored some when I was running around with ghost hunters and testing equipment and whatnot. I I did get voices on on recorders when I was in cemeteries in some places. Um, one of the one of the most famous. Uh, cemeteries for that is Highgate in London. Mm -hmm. It's in the neighborhood of London, and supposedly there's a vampire that mm -hmm. skulks around there. And it is one creepy cemetery. It's beautiful, but definitely really creepy. Um, so you know, stories crop up around Highgate that that there are all kinds of spooky things there. Um, I think you'd probably find ghost stories in almost any cemetery that you went to because you know it's, it's the dead right but you don't find but <laughs> vampire stories you don't find a lot no, of no you don't unless you're in new orleans or something you know on the east coast or someplace and nothing like no, i don't think there's anything like that out here <laughs> yeah there, there used to be this guy named david barrett who who go into the you're not supposed to go in that cemetery at night he'd go in there at night looking for the vampire and he'd get arrested and <laughs> you know just go crazy um but yeah i think i think you can find ghost stories and you know associated with most at least most elaborate cemeteries like that mm -hmm. uh there was one cemetery that figured into an interesting serial killer case and it was um in also in london what happened is that Three young men were found dead. Two of them were propped up three weeks apart in the same place, propped up against the inside wall. And the other one was, was on the outside wall of the same cemetery. And one of them had a suicide note in his hand that said that he was so distraught over having accidentally caused the guy before the three weeks before him to have died. Uh, from an overdose, a drug overdose, that he that he wanted to kill himself the same way, and so the police closed those cases as a accidental death and a suicide. And um, the other one they just wrote off as an accidental overdose. And it turned out it was a serial killer who had killed all of them, wrote the suicide note um, to stage the suicide, and the police missed the whole thing because they just bought into the story of these guys are just drug addicts and hmm. and they weren't but the serial killer killed all of them by injecting them with drugs and and then dumped them in that particular cemetery wow that's interesting yep. his name is stephen port i'll have to look that one up that, that's pretty yeah, cool it's a good it's a good story and in fact the police have been 
thoroughly chastised and the families are suing and as they should be there's four victims um and all of them were around that cemetery area well that's pretty cool you know i was thinking about the 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 grave robber you know stuff on there you know those bars they put over the graves you know kind of goes back and then you talking about this guy too it kind of goes back to to eddie gein you know where where maybe that's what they should have had that cemetery where he was at whoa you know well yeah well i mean he he and that's what led him to become a murderer is, is he and a buddy went and dug up these bodies, but the skin wasn't what he was looking for. It was really um, pliable, supple skin, and the, de- the dead didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So he figured maybe it's better just to kill some. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted women of a particular size or about the right size of his mother. And so when the when the dead didn't yield the kind of skin he was looking for, he then started killing women. Mm-hmm. And he, he was psychotic. Uh, he didn't really know particularly what he was doing. So, um, yeah, but he was a grave robber, and then he became a serial killer. And what people don't realize is when you watch The Silence of the Lambs, that's what, that is based on it, on him. Well, it's based on several. Okay. Buffalo Bill is actually... Uh, a serial killer was killing up in, um, he was Rochester, New York. That was his name. Um, Gein was was the model for the skin thing. Mm-hmm. But um, putting them in the pit was a serial killer out of Philadelphia. So it was a mix of three or four serial killers for, for Signs of the Lambs. Interesting. When we talk about Gein now, the other thing too is that, I mean, he was... He, he had a mother fetish, but yet his mother was cruel to him. Yeah, but he was also isolated. He was, he had a low IQ. He had a mental disturbance. Um, he had no way of knowing really any better. Mm-hmm. It, we don't know how his brother died, but it's possible he killed his brother mm-hmm. to have have his mother all to himself. Um yeah, and I, it, it, it's not surprising at all when kids grow up with cruel parents that they still adhere to those parents. They don't want to be taken away from them. We, mm-hmm. that, we find that a lot. I just find his story so fascinating. And really... I don't know that it was really a mother fetish so much as it was he wanted to be a female. Yeah, that's that too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. so maybe that came from reliance on his mother and maybe it's simply... He just felt more like a female, and he wanted to transform into one. But he had other things going on too. I mean, he was he was like making skull bowls and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just actually in a museum that had all of his records, all of the psychiatric records, the polygraph, um, some some pieces of skin that he had made. One was a keychain made out of human hair. Uh, it was very interesting. Yeah, because he was making lamps. Yeah. Out of human skin. Yeah, I know. Wow. Because didn't the police find all those magazines that that that, that, that would show him how to do that? Well, the, yeah, there were magazines that where you could send away for shrunken heads and things. They yeah. Were, <laughs> they were... Taxidermy. Just, Whoa. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like the Craigslist today. <laughs> you, know, you can find anything you want. The, the Reddit of Craigslist, I guess. Yeah, he was just the weirdo in town. That's all they thought of him was, was a weirdo in town. <laughs> Boy, was he weird. Well, he was a strange oh, little guy yeah. who was of limited intelligence and few skills. And, you know, he's just one of the weirdos, basically. Yeah. yeah. 
that's what happens. Yep. <laughs> so let's talk about um these the, the, these body ranches. You 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 know where they they do experiments on on the bodies where, where they leave them outside. Oh, the body farm. Yeah, the body farm. Sorry, ranches. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <Right>? Yeah. <laughs> well, the body farms are, are science. The the uh, the first one started in in uh, Tennessee, University of Tennessee at Knoxville, and they they had about two and a half acres outside the university, and they they would lay out bodies in in all different kinds of dispositions, like buried or on the ground in sun in shade in water locked in the trunk of a car in a in a house um all different kinds of dispositions so that they could study mm -hmm. what's what's a concept called time since death so how long if somebody were laid out um how could how could we measure the changes so that we can um, establish when somebody's found in the woods, for example, we can establish, well, how long have they been there based on scientific calculations? So that, that um, body farm then inspired a few others because mm -hmm. what you need is different environments and different soil types. So there's one also in Texas, there's one in Pennsylvania, there's one in, I believe it's North Carolina. I think there's about six of them now. So when you donate your body to science, you don't really know if it's going directly to um, a body farm or if it's going oh, to... You, no, no, you, you do know, because when you donate your body to science, you, you typically stipulate where you want okay, it to go. Okay. In fact, the body farm has a long list of people who want to be there. Wow. They want to donate their body specifically to the body farm. And they have a list of, of things that they want, like middle-aged women then you know mm -hmm. they don't get many volunteers like that so they have their their wish list but there mm -hmm. are a lot of people who wanted to um you know just be used for science there's a couple of pretty good specials on national geographic channel of um of work at the body farm and one is called um and i think it's called a biography of a corpse where they did uh high-speed camera work to show you know the body decomposing and the, the maggots coming in and defleshing it and you know then it gets skeletonized and it's all done in very quick time but you see all the different different stages and different graduate students will take on different types of um, projects like when I went there I spent about a week there one one year in, in August in Tennessee was not a pleasant time at all for mm -hmm. being around decomposing bodies out in the open. But there were a couple of graduate students from New Zealand who had uh, put a body, sealed it into a uh, like a, a big 30-gallon uh, kind of thing, and they sealed it there so no bugs could get to it, mm -hmm. no air, no nothing. And they, and they were about to unveil it to look inside and see what the body would look like if mm -hmm. there had not been any bug activity. Mm -hmm. it, it was pretty, pretty uh, rank. Let me just tell you, it stank. Yeah. It stank and it was just like a liquid puddle with some bones sticking out. It was really kind of horrible, but it's science there. They were studying in, you know, in case somebody sealed a body into mm -hmm. a, a container like that, you know, what would we expect it to look like over different stages of time?
Well, yeah, and that, and that that helps the police too when you know when they go on on investigation or or they have a body call. Yeah, and it helps break alibis. If somebody said, "Oh, I wasn't," you know, "I wasn't here," then um, you now have a timeline, mm-hmm. scientifically based timeline. But the, the thing is, we need to have it in different environments. Mm-hmm. It's called taphonomy or laws of the grave. That's the science. And you need to have bodies that have been in the desert and mummified, that have been in, you know, the low country with swamps, that have been in a place like Minnesota or Canada. Mm-hmm. So they need more more of these kinds of facilities in order to really establish all different kinds of circumstances and conditions. Mm-hmm. 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 So that's another thing I find interesting. I find all this interesting, obviously. What about New Orleans? Yeah, I mean, I was I was really privileged to be able to spend the time at one of them. I mean, the public doesn't just get in right, for right. no reason. Um, but they they had just opened up a class and for some reason allowed me to come. And so that, that really put me right up front um, to, to see how it all was laid out and um, bodies in all different stages of decomposition. They had one that was a Native American burial in the air. And, and so it was up, up high and the pieces were falling down from this from this thing. They had another that was a bird thing. What, what would the birds do to the body? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in fact, the one in Texas, they've done some experiments with vultures because they had in the past had estimated how long it would take a vulture to um, get rid of human remains. And they were completely wrong on their estimates the vultures oh. worked much faster than they had anticipated so you, you have to study these things i mean that's part of it is is we have ideas about what could happen but until we really have these good solid scientific ways to measure it mm-hmm. um, we we can't go into court and testify about any of it right so when you're walking around these farms is there a smell oh yeah <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, because they're decomposing in all different kinds of, of ways. You mm-hmm. know, a, a fresh one that's just laid out, you're still going to get the, the different biological smells, like mm-hmm. you know, urine and feces and such things as that. But then, even as they decompose, there's all the bacteria smells, and yeah, it does. It's definitely, definitely, you know, you're around the dead. That's. I remember reading a book by uh, Thomas Noguchi. Yeah. And um, I remember reading. I've met him several times. Have you? Yeah. I I I love his book, and and it goes into you know the different stages of a decomposing body and how they can tell, right. um, you know, or get an so estimate. So does my book. So does cemetery. Stars. I saw that. That's why I was just yeah. not mentioning it. Yeah. Yeah. And Noguchi is pretty interesting. I used to go to this conference the american academy of forensic science uh-huh. and it seemed like he was always the very first person i saw uh-huh. <laughs> year after year um and then he stopped he stopped going to that i'm not sure even if he's still alive but you know very very he wrote several books right. about the, the different um, autopsies he had done absolutely well for the sake of the audience since i since i've read your book and maybe they haven't what are the stages of decomposition for a body? Because I don't think people realize that there's two stages. There's like two or three stages of rigor, right? I think I saw two. Well, there. So I, it's been 20 years since I wrote that book. Sure. But I, I'll try to remember. Um, 
again, it's going to be about where the body is left. If the body's inside, that's going to have a very different um, timeline than if it's left out in the woods. If it's summer, it's going to be different than winter. If it's, mm-hmm. you know, different conditions are going to have different effects on the timeline. But basically, uh, as the body is, is, you know, decomposing, the bacteria are coming in and the flies immediately smell that. They're, they're the first thing. So that there's stages of insects that come. The flies lay eggs. They they hatch into maggots. The maggots begin eating the flesh, and then wasps come. Spiders come. Um, it's really an interesting. Uh, you know, you can you can tell kind of how long a body has been in the woods, for example, by the different bugs that have come and gone. Right. And what's still there? How far away are the maggots as they crawl away? What's in their stomach? <laughs> all the, all of that. It's, entomology is a fascinating uh, field if you like bugs. But then the body itself begins to go into rigor. So that starts with the small muscles first, then moves through the body, as and it, which means it's stiffening. A lot of people think rigor stays, but in fact, mm-hmm. it doesn't. After a certain period of time, it starts loosening up. The body also bloats because the bacteria is working inside in, in the intestines and whatnot. The skin is becoming, it's what's called skin slippage. It's beginning to come off uh, it, because after, after the body is swollen, it, the swelling goes down and now you've got the skin that's that's uh, loose mm-hmm. and also has no, it's, it's lost all its connectedness. Mm-hmm. And so it's beginning to slip off. The body goes through different colorations as the bacteria are working on it. So on and on and on. Right. Um, and then eventually it, it collapses in on itself. And especially if you have a lot of insects working on it, collapses in on itself and begins to um, either decompose and, you know, become a puddle or in other circumstances, it might become more of a mummified kind of thing. Like if you're in the Southwest, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be more, it's going to dry up mm-hmm. and then cling to the bones. Um, and then depending on how much longer the body's out there, then, and the bugs are working on it, it becomes skeletonized. And then, like you say, it depends on the conditions of, of the place where the body's at, too. Because, I mean, if, right. it, if it's sitting in 10 days of heat, it's going to com- decompose faster. Much faster. Yep. And some some soils will decompose it faster than others. So, depending on where, if somebody has buried a body, um, there are times that could be preservative rather than corrosive. So, mm-hmm. that also has an effect on how fast something decomposes and also whether they're wearing a lot of clothing or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now on a lighter note, well, not a lighter note, but what cemeteries in the United States have, have impressed you? Um, I love the garden cemeteries. There's one in Boston, one in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, one in um, Brooklyn, uh, one in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And these are cemeteries that were intended to be places of, oh, there's actually one near me in Eastern Pennsylvania. They're intended to be places of recreation, uh, picnics, social gatherings uh, with beautiful monuments. So there's a sense of artwork, um, you know, beautiful plants and 
and well-kept trees and, you know, just wonderful places to be. And there was supposed to have been kind of a movement of garden cemeteries, but they really only got so far before, and they're very expensive. Um, so you find them here and there. And when you do, you should go in and see them because they, they are spectacular. But um, so I think those are my favorites. And also I love the ones in, I was just in Savannah. Uh, the ones in New Orleans are, are also quite amazing because they're the above ground tombs. And there's, there's a lot of history to those cemeteries. So, and there's one outside of, of San Francisco that um, it's like a whole, it's row, I mean, just long, long miles of, of graves. <laughs> Do you know which I'm talking about? It's, um, I can't think of the name of it. it they when they began to move all the dead out of San Francisco because they just didn't have room anymore, and they put them all in this. It's like a town that's all cemetery. I don't think I've it's, heard of that one. Um, it's in, it is in the book, but I can't think right. of where right. it is. But that yeah. that was pretty impressive. I remember seeing the name of it in the book. My mind's been like jello this last week. It just got yeah. I, I go crazy. We have one in Sacramento. We actually have one here. It's a Victorian cemetery. Okay. And when spring comes, it's the most beautiful place to be. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. Because, you know, back in the old days, people didn't look at cemeteries the way we, we all look at cemeteries now. Right. People look, you know, people people picnicked in these cemeteries. Yes. And that's what the garden cemeteries were all about, is, is recreation, social gatherings, picnics, they used to, and now we're scared of cemeteries. Yeah. Unless you go to Mexico, and then they party in their cemeteries. Yeah. Because let me a, see if I can let me see if I can find out the name. There's a big fountain, and there's a big fountain in the middle of the one I have here, that we have here. So you could go sit around the fountain, you know, and 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 have have lunch or or whatever. But it's beautiful to be walking around in there. All right, I know what it is. I just looked up cemetery town. It's <laughs> called Coma. C-O-L-M-A, California. It's a small incorporated town that is just nothing but cemeteries. Awesome. Oh, it's outside San Francisco. I've always wanted to go there. Now, now I know what you're talking about. I always wanted to yeah. go there. Yeah. If you have impressive. <laughs> if you guys haven't read this book that she wrote, you should. Because I absolutely enjoyed it immensely. But I'm into that sort of thing. I mean, not everybody's into that. You know what I mean? Right. right. But I absolutely, I absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you. <laughs> I enjoy. I had a good time writing it, I running love around your, and oh, finding all these places. I'm hooked on all your books because they're so well written. Well, thank you. Well, you might like the new novel because it has a cemetery in it. Absolutely. And cru crucial scenes happen in the cemetery. Really? Yeah. And it's a low country. In South Carolina, it's a low country cemetery, so swampy and all that. And, and there's oh, a good. hurricane. On top awesome! Of that. <laughs> you just piled it on, didn't you? On this one, we're just gonna we're just gonna throw all this <laughs> at the reader and just just nail it's them. It's called it's called Ice Cream Man, like Ice Cream Man. Okay, cool. Um, and it is it is uh, got a lot of action in it, but certainly cemeteries. Absolutely. What, what have you found, you know, in your career doing this stuff and writing these books and teaching and everything, what what have you found to be the most satisfying? Writing. Okay. Writing, traveling, for writing, research for writing, then writing some more. 
I think that's fun. I mean, as a newspaper reporter, you know, I love going on location. I don't like, I don't like being stuck behind the phone interviewing people. I would rather be on location, physically seeing what I'm writing about because it's fun. You know, meeting the people and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I love seeing new things, learning new things, finding new cemeteries, um, meeting characters. Uh, It's, it's fun. I, I really, I've been doing it for probably 35 years. Um, I love it. What's what? What is your most uh, out of all your books? I know most people will say what's the current one I've written, but out, out of all the books you've written, which one is, is your favorite? Um. Well, favorite in terms of you know for context, I I definitely loved all the travel I did for the companion guides to Anne Rice's. Mm-hmm. which is in vampire worlds. Cause I got to go to many amazing places to write those encyclopedias. But I also really I put a lot of effort into the BTK book. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to say that's probably um, the one that most showcases all of the, the skills and awareness and knowledge that I have about serial killers. Mm-hmm. But the novel, yes, the novel that I just wrote, which I hope will become a series, is something I'm totally in love with because I really love my characters. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's probably what I have to say. What's next for you? The next novel in the series and <laughs> another one more serial killer book because okay, I cool. am going to retire soon and just write. That would work. That That sounds good to me. How can people mm-hmm. find you? Um, I'm mostly on Facebook. I do a lot of, of uh, interactions on Facebook, and so I would say that's the easiest way. I do have a website, but it, it leads right to the – I set it up for the novel series. It's not really about me. It's about the novels, so mm-hmm. I would say find me on Facebook. All right, cool. Well, thank you for coming on again. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. It's and we'd love to, to get to you. you back on again to talk about your other book. You know, just, okay. We'll just yeah. keep you rolling on here. All right, All well, right. Catherine, thank you so much, and uh, right. have a great evening, okay? Okay, you too. Okay, thank bye-bye. Bye. All right, that was Catherine Ramslin, and uh, I, learned, I learned a lot. I read her book, a cemetery book, just kept me glued, but I'm into that sort of thing, you know, I'm a ghost. I told you, I even had notes tonight to talk to her about. I never take notes on books. I took notes on her. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just, that stuff fascinates me anyway. I was a court crime reporter for five years. And uh, I used to go out to, you know, the, the, the murder scenes and all this other stuff. And then, yeah, it's, it's just right up my alley. Anyway, uh, guys, I'm going to thank Catherine again if she's listening. Thank you, Catherine. And uh, I'll have some contact information for her after the show. Uh, as we finish tomorrow, David Brody is going to be with us, our old friend. He's been, he, he was on way back in April. And he's got a book out about, uh, we're going to learn about Templars. And we're going to learn about Lilith, right? Lilith, you know, the, the, the legend of Lilith. So we're going to be talking to David Brody about that tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. All right, so I'll be here. I had um, made other arrangements for stuff tomorrow, but I decided to do a special show with David, so I'm real excited to talk with him. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. If you like the show and you're watching from Facebook, please hit that follow button. Uh, if you're watching from YouTube, please uh, click on that little ghost down there with the magnifying glass, the Sherlock Holmes hat. And uh, that will subscribe you to our shows and subscribe you to our page because we have a lot. Um, check us out at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com or CaliforniaHauntsRadio.org. Uh, the .org page is kind of iffy because I'm actually designing a whole new 
page for California for, for the paranormal group itself. So that's going to be neat. And that's going to be really interactive. So I'm going to be working. In fact, this weekend I have meetings with team members to talk about this and talk about how we're going to make it more interactive and stuff. So it's going to be kind of cool when I get done. Um, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio, right? I always say that every show. But we're trying to get the word out. The more we can get the word out, the, the more people listen. And, you know, like I said, our numbers have been going up, and we want to keep it going. We want to keep that going, okay? You see that ticker down at the bottom? That is because uh, we are technically a nonprofit, even though we don't operate as a nonprofit, but we don't charge to go out on investigations. We just don't. We just, you know, we're out to help people. That's 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 our goal, help and educate people. So if something goes wrong with a piece of equipment or if one of these computers break for the show or, you know, stuff like that, plus I have internet costs and all that stuff that I have to pay for every month, just, just like you have bills every month, I have bills to maintain the show every month. And I want to keep this show coming. We're about to start our third season next week. That's pretty cool, right? Three seasons. And I didn't think I'd be on this long, but I hear, you know, here we are. So if you could help me out with that, I'd appreciate it. That's at uh, paypal.me at California Haunts. Or you can, uh, if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, Venmo, and then just type in California Haunts. All right? Well, anyway, I'm going to share the um, share her contact information and where you can get her books because she has a lot of books. So uh, check this out. Here we go. Okay, the mind of a murderer and ghost. Confession of a serial killer. The untold story of Dennis Ray to the BTK killer and inside the minds of serial killers. And you can get those books at Amazon. And again, if you want to find um, Catherine Ramsland, check out Facebook because uh, she's there. Okay. Anyway, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Have a good evening. Later.